Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. The scripture is very, very important. Let me start out by saying that one of the main function, duty of any nation, any kingdom, is the protection and welfare of its citizens. Kingdom as a duty. It is their obligation to care for and protect their citizens. And the constitution of the kingdom should always be geared in that direction. Generally, it is always geared towards the welfare and protection of the citizens. Now, nobody knows this better than God. And so the constitution of the kingdom of God, the word of God is geared towards the welfare and protection of the citizens of the kingdom of God. Nobody knows how to take care of your welfare. Nobody knows how to watch over you, to protect you better than Almighty God. So my point is the constitution of the kingdom of God, the Holy Scripture, the word of God was designed with your best interest in mind. It was designed to enable you, to help you to become your best. It was designed so that you can become your full potential and be all that God intended for you to be. So if you don't operate according to the constitution, then you're doing yourself an injustice because there is no other constitution that exists out there that knows how to take care of your needs better than the constitution of the kingdom of God because the one that is omniscient, that is all-knowing, the one has all resources at his disposal, designed the constitution of the kingdom of God for you so that you can reach your destiny. There is nothing else that can enable you to reach your destiny. No other constitution other than the constitution of the kingdom of God. So now you see how important the constitution of the kingdom of God is not merely for God, but for you. Because the constitution is about the welfare of the citizens. The a constitution is a system of fundamental principles according to which a nation, a state, corporation, or the like is governed. So the constitution of the kingdom of God then is about how how we are supposed to be governed and we, us as citizens, subjecting ourselves to the government of that constitution. Now, the scripture, the Bible, as I said, is the constitution of the kingdom of God. The Bible is the constitution of all constitutions. Because as was said earlier, every other constitution has basis in the constitution of the kingdom of God. Because what we're saying is that there's no new rule There's no new law on earth. And so anything that man comes up with and claims that he discovered, God already put in place. Now, a constitution is the foundation for framework and structure in a kingdom or our society. It is the framework, the foundation for framework and structure in a kingdom. So... It is a requirement. Constitution is a requirement for establishing a nation. The purpose of the constitution, 
is not to control the people. The purpose of the constitution is not to control the people. And that is why from day one, God gave man a free will to choose. Although he created man, he gave man a free will to choose. So he could have stopped Adam and Eve if he was just intent on control. He could have set it up that he just controlled them and they couldn't do anything that he didn't want them to do. God has always given us a free will. And the constitution of the kingdom of God was not meant control the citizens. No, no constitution should be doing that. But we know in this life, how people have manipulated constitution and use it as tools of oppression and control and all that kind of stuff. But it does not work that way in the kingdom of God. The constitution of the kingdom of God is not to control people and control everything because the constitution really does not belong to the leader alone. The constitution belongs to all the people. So it is really about guiding the entire society to success. God wants to guide all of us to success. God wants us to become our best. The constitution of the kingdom of God was designed for your success. It was designed with your destiny in mind. It was designed with your potential in mind. It was designed so that you can become all that God created for you to be. All right, earlier I said the constitution is, is for framework constructor, the foundation of the constitution. Let's talk about the framework a little bit. When we talk about framework here, we're speaking to boundaries and, uh, you know, anchoring behavioral patterns of people and all of that. The constitution was designed so that people's behavior can be regulated and also to set boundaries. And that's where the idea of framework comes from. So it's, it's about framework that people should operate in. And also on the side of structure, that's speaking to systems, systems like accountability, principles, laws. So the foundation of the constitution is to provide framework and structure. It was intended to guide and shape a territory towards success. And that's what God wants. Anytime God speaks to us, the reason why God sent his word to us is so that we can be successful, that we can overcome. God wants us to overcome. God takes no pleasure in us failing. He wants us to overcome so he can reflect how he takes care of his citizens. So further to framework and structure though, I want to point out that it is structure that produce order. And order is the engine for growth and development. So the constitution then is the foundation for order. And I believe that's one of the biggest problems that kingdom citizens have as it relates to the kingdom of God, the constitution, how, what we do, order. Because if, if you operate in a different order than God's order, then you don't create channels in your life so that God's uh, blessings, that what God desires can flow through your life. And you cannot establish order as a kingdom believer, as a kingdom citizens, citizen without the structure of the constitution. Order is not according to your emotions, how you view things uh, because you're different. No, order is according to the constitution. So, you know, it's not about our own style or way of doing things. There's just one constitution and while we have different personalities, it is our responsibility to ensure that the kingdom order is established in 
our lives. And once the kingdom order is established, you, you're going to experience the hand of God in ways that you never dream. You're going to experience the favor of God in ways that you never imagine. You know, the, the truth is you cannot stand in a jurisdiction, in a territory, on the premise of the constitution of another jurisdiction. In other words, if you travel to the United States and get in trouble with the law, you cannot stand in the court system there and tell them about how it is in Jamaica because you are under the constitution of the United States at that time. One of the things that we have tried to do, people have done all the time, is to try and stand in the kingdom of God and have their own constitution, their own rules, their own laws that govern them. It don't work that way. If you are going to operate in the kingdom of God, you need to get under the constitution or align yourself with the constitution of the kingdom of God. You see, one of the, the problems we have is that people don't really pay attention to constitution most of the times. So we don't know the constitution, even in the different places that we live, wherever you're joining us from, whether it is Canada or United States or wherever, right here in Jamaica, there are so many people who have never read the constitution of the nation that they live in. So they don't really know their rights. They might go from what other people say, but there are people who have never seen a copy of the Jamaican constitution. And it's not of so, such an interest to, to, to you because you just do your own thing. And we carry that same kind of attitude in the, in the kingdom of God. So we don't really read the constitution sometimes. People don't read the constitution of the kingdom of God sometimes because they just do their own thing. If you do your own thing, then it will produce your own results. But if you want kingdom favor on your life, align yourself with the constitution of the kingdom of God. Now, because the earth is the Lord's, that means he created it. The constitution of the kingdom of God works anywhere on earth. So that's the beauty about this constitution. You cannot, in general terms, use other nations' constitution in other nations. But when it comes to the constitution of the kingdom of God, God has given you a handle on life. Because as I said, the earth is the Lord's. So anywhere on earth you go, God would have created it. He owns it. So his constitution has validity anywhere you go. So if you leave here and go to Cuba or Barbados or Canada or wherever, you can st still stand on the word of God and it, would, it will work for you anywhere in the world because it is the constitution that is able to go anywhere and work. So you can rebuke demons in Jamaica, you can re rebuke demons in Africa, you can rebuke demons in Asia, you can speak the word of the Lord anywhere you are and see the word come to pass because the word is spirit and life anywhere. And of course, when I say anywhere, I'm talking about in alignment with the constitution because you can't just go somewhere where God did not send you and then start calling up on the constitution. You put yourself in a compromising position that way. So for example, when Jonah ran away because he never wanted to go to Nineveh and preach and got on that boat and all of that, he was at the mercy of the people. He was at the mercy of God. 
He was not in a position because he was out of alignment with God. He was out of order. He was not in a position to really use the word of God the way he ought to because he wasn't in alignment. So I'm saying to you, while the word, the constitution is valid anywhere in the world, it is still important to be in alignment with the constitution to be able to function effectively. There is a scripture in Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, verse nine and 10. And I want to show you how the word of God, the authority of the kingdom of God works anywhere. Once you put the other parts in place, it says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of, to the place of highest heaven and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Notice that in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So in other words, whether the activities are on earth, under the earth or wherever, they bow at the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus carries authority, whether on earth or under the earth, over the earth, because authority of the kingdom, the constitution of the kingdom transcends the earth. The Bible is the mind of our hero. Everybody, almost everybody wants to read about their hero. The Bible is the mind of our hero. And so we are talking here about the mind that is responsible for the creation of man, the mind that is uh, responsible for all of creation, the mind that is responsible for our redemption. We're talking about the mind that is responsible for the fruit trees, the waters, the fish, all that you see on earth. And we need to capitalize on the opportunity to read the mind, read about the thinking pattern of our hero. And you do that by reading the constitution of the kingdom of God. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul said, let this mind be in you. It's kind of thinking. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. How you do that? By reading the word of God and practicing the word of God. So you begin to think the way Jesus would think if he was in your situation. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Now, as it relates to the word of God, and not just the word of God, but when it comes to legal documents, there is what they call the letter of the law and also what they call the spirit of the law. The lawyers will tell you about that. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is the document, but the spirit of the law is the intent of the law, what, what it was intended to carry out. So Jesus explained many times according to how scriptures were misinterpreted and all of that and certain misunderstandings. He told the folks one time, he said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, commanded you to do certain things. But that was not the spirit of the law. That was not the intention of the law. From the beginning, it was not so. The intention or the spirit, the intent of the law was to accomplish a certain result. And so just like with the legal documents on earth, there is the letter of the law when it comes to the constitution of the kingdom. And there is the spirit of the law. So even though sometimes some of the translations might not have it word for word out of the Greek, 
it is important for us to understand that whatever God intended, which is the spirit of the law, he is not going to back down on it. So sometimes we might not understand every word that is in a verse, but the important thing is to get the message out of it. We probably cannot explain every sentence, but the important thing is the principle that is in that verse or is in that chapter or is in that text that needs that need to be captured. And it is very, very important because sometimes we spend a lot of time, you know, arguing about one word in a sentence. And I know I'm very aware that one word can make a difference in a sentence, but the more important thing is the spirit of the law. What was it intended for? What message was being sent out of that particular text? God originated laws and principles and God created laws for your success to guide you to success. I think it was Dr. Miles Monroe that said, God built success into everything that he created. So that success is dependent on how you live according to that law. So for example, there is success built into sowing and reaping. If you choose not to live by sowing and reaping, there might be something that happened in your life now and then, but there will not be a consistent harvest like what sowing and reaping would produce. So in other words, you can't do the opposite of sowing and reaping and get the results that sowing and reaping was intended for. In fact, the Bible says if you give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, you will reap bountifully. So success in a bountiful way was created in bountiful giving. Success happens according to the law that you live by. Sometimes we think that just getting baptized, serving the Lord is enough for the windows of heaven to open up and blessings just start running in your life like river. No, you have to live by the laws that are required to get you to the level of success that you want. That is why sometimes people look at other folks and see their progress and all of that and just don't understand that, you know, that's 15 years of work right there on certain laws producing those results and that can't happen overnight. But you can start somewhere. So it's very, very important to remember that God builds success in everything he created. And if you operate according to the laws, you will get the success that was built into that law for you. So, you know, many believers, I don't mean to offend you, but I'm saying many believers cannot progress any further than they are in life because they live by their own laws and their own laws can get them so far and no more. You have to put in place the laws of God that can produce the kind of success that will be meaningful to your life. Otherwise, you're going to stay on the same level. Some of you have maxed out already what your natural abilities can produce by itself. So anything that is going to happen further, any higher degree that is going to come to your life have to be according to the laws of God. You see, we have natural abilities and our natural abilities can produce thus far but the laws of God takes us from there. Is anybody can get a job and save and get a loan and buy a car or, or a house and pay mortgage on it 
month by month. But the dreams that God has put inside of you, some of you, is not just one home. It's not just a, a job. But you cannot work by yourself in your own strength to produce those kind of results, the business that you envision. So it has to happen by the law of God. So if you don't put the law in place in your life, it's not going to happen. So I am encouraging you tonight to remember that the constitution is the foundation for framework and structure. Let me also say to you that prayer and fasting was not intended to bypass the laws of the kingdom or to bypass the constitution of the kingdom of God. You can't not practice the law, the principles of the kingdom, but go and pray and fast your way into certain things. Prayer and fasting is good and you should, you should practice it, but it is not a road to bypass the laws of God. So with all the prayer and fasting that is taking place, you still have to live by the laws of the kingdom if you are going to reap certain levels of success in your life. Just going to church on a Sunday morning is not enough. You've got to live by the laws of the kingdom, the principle of scriptures, if you're going to receive certain results. One of the most important job a believer has is to learn the constitution of the kingdom of God and obey it. You are unstoppable when you reach that place in God. You see, along with a great diversity, the Bible also possesses a marvelous unity. Its diversity is plainly evident in that it is composed of 66 different books written over a period of about 1600 years. It's not an overnight constitution. These books were written by approximately 40 different authors living in different cultures and countries, talking about from Egypt to Rome to Babylon. And among the people who wrote the books were kings, statesmen, we're talking about prophets, peasants, fishermen, herdsmen, tradesmen, prisoners, wrote the Bible in different languages. The Bible says that inspired men wrote as they were moved by God. Their writings include almost every kind of literature, including history, law, prophecy, biography, songs, letters, parables, and proverbs. Now, the miracle of this is that they produced an amazing unified book, each writer contributing certain needed portion that harmonize with and never contradict the whole. Now, some people will tell you that the Bible contradicts itself, but it's just lack of understanding. We don't understand everything in the Bible, and certainly all that we learn is not in one day. So that which you don't understand, sometimes your natural mind will interpret it one way. But the Bible does not contradict itself. It actually harmonize um, as far as the scriptures are concerned from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And in fact, we'll look at that in a, in a little bit more detail. There are three major ways that this unity or harmonization is illustrated. And the first is the harmony of the division of the books. It's interesting how the Bible is divided into different segments, but yet they harmonize, yet they 
interpret each other, yet they speak, not contradicting each other, but speak to the same goal. So as I said, the first is the harmony of the division of the books. And when we talk about the harmony of the division of the books, we start with the Old Testament and we start with what we call the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch is, speaks to the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. The first five books of the Bible speaks to the early history of creation. Right? It speaks to the early history of creation. So it would cover the, 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 the creation of man and the creation of everything, the grass and all that kind of stuff. It would also speak to the fall of man, the Noah time and Abraham time going through that stage. So it, the Pentateuch speaks to about the first 2000 years of the existence of the earth. Now, this part of the history also deals with the laws. So we're taking a little journey through the Bible just to show you how the different segments harmonize. So the first segment we're, we're talking about here is the Pentateuch and it speaks to the early history of the scripture. After that, the next 12 books are actually called the historical books and they deal with a different kind of history than the first five books. Historical books speaks to the history of Israel and it even goes a little in a little bit more detail. We talk about the the unity of the scripture because the first nine books of the historical, the first nine of the historical books to mean Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Those books speaks to the pre-exile history of Israel. In other words, it speaks to the history of Israel before they went into captivity. And you will find that Ezra, Nehemiah, those books speaks to the post-exile history. It speaks to the time when they return from the captivity. So when you look at it carefully, all of them are not just rambling around, but they're giving you structure when you get the time to go through it. First set, the first five books, the Pentateuch, or some people say Pentateuch, speaks to the creation history and the fall of man. Then when we come down to the historical books, the historical books deal with the history of Israel. But we break that down further in the pre-exile history and the post-exile history. And the historical books cover all of that. But that's a further breakdown. And all I'm doing here is establishing the point that the Bible really don't contradict itself. You have to read it in context. Then after the historical books, we would have the poetic books. The poetic books are the next five after the historical books. That would be Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Songs of Solomon. Those are the poetic books and um, you know, Solomon wrote three of those and his father, David, wrote Psalms. And those get a lot of your prayers and wisdom and poetry from those books. A lot of songs comes out of those books. After the poetic books, you have what we call the major prophets. The major prophets would, would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel and Ezekiel. But the book of Lamentation is also in that mix. Remember, Jeremiah also wrote the book of Lamentation. Lamentation is, was a book, not a prophet. So it would speak to, although it's five books, it's four prophets because one wrote two of the books. And as I said, they represent what is called the 
the major profits. And then after the major profits, we have what we call the minor profits. The minor profits were Uzziah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Zechariah, Malachi, all of them. Now, the difference between the minor prophets and the major prophets, why some are called minor and major, it's not that one said their words were more important and all of that. The, the simple difference is that the minor prophets, the, their message was localized. Whatever they prophesied wasn't on what, for want of a better term, on an international basis. The major prophets, their words went much further than their local environment, just their um, villages that they were living. If you remember, people like Daniel was in Babylon and spoke the word of the Lord and his word was not just localized to a, a town or a village, but it went abroad. And so was Isaiah. Isaiah was called the evangelical prophet. 700 and maybe 40 years before Messiah came, Isaiah was prophesying of the coming of the Messiah. And his message went all over tell of the coming Messiah. So people like Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, um, and Ezekiel, their message was not localized. But others, their message was, was localized. So that's the difference between the major and the minor prophets. The minor prophets, their message, messages were localized. The major prophets, the opposite. Now, again, if you look, when we talk about the unity of the scripture, God did not make a mistake. You see how it is structured that when you read, you can know which prophet had certain impact even outside of their immediate space. Both sets of prophets heard from God and the word that they heard, the, the words they heard from God wasn't less than the other, but they had um, the same value. However, the categories come according to the extent that the messages went. So again, we want to point out that the scriptures harmonize. Now, if we jump over into the New Testament, there is also a New Testament history. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would speak to the New Testament history. You know, they, they set the basis for the New Testament. And then after that, we have what we call the doctrinal epistles or, or the Christian church epistles, which would be Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. And then after the doctrinal epistles, we have the pastoral or personal epistles where that will come from first and second Timothy, Titus and Philemon, where Paul himself took on the responsibility to train these men in pastoral work and leadership in the church. And the rest of the New Testament is what would be considered the Hebrew Christian epistles. And that would include Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. All right? So that comes under, as I said, the harmony of the division of the Bible. Or we segment it. Next, we talk about the harmony of the themes through the Bible because there are different themes running through the Bible, although the message essentially comes back to Christ and, his, and the kingdom of God. There are different themes in different segments of the Bible pointing to 
the same thing at the end of the day. Though the Bible has one primary message, it intends to communicate. There are scores of themes that are developed consistently through the books. These are like streams of truth that begin in Genesis, flows progressively through the books of the Bible and then empty into Revelation as fulfillment. So the following is a listing of only a few topics that begin in Genesis and then end in Revelation. So topics like the creator, and I'm going to give you some scripture references with these that you could note and then read them later on. So the creator, you know, that starts from in Genesis and that theme goes right through to Revelation. So they talk about the creator right throughout the Bible. Colossians 1 verse 16 would be our scripture reference there. The beginning. Genesis is the book of beginnings and speak to beginning. But although Revelation is the last book in the Bible, the beginnings still continue throughout to Revelation in terms of being a topical issue. Revelation 1 verse 8. The seed of the woman is another of those topics. Matthew 1 23. Isaac, the only begotten son of Abraham. And the topic of the only begotten son is one that continues throughout the Bible. From Genesis actually, it talks about how the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And then Isaac, you have Abraham, his father, and Sarah that could not have a child. And then Genesis 22 talks about take Isaac, your only son. We're talking about the begotten son there because we know that even at that time, Ishmael was born, which was the first son, really. But we're talking about the begotten son here. So the issue of the begotten son is a topic throughout the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And one day when we have time, we're, we're going to talk about that because that's a big topic that I think has created a lot of discussions over the world and, and is misunderstood too because the Bible speaks to two kinds of sons. There is the begotten son and the Bible says in St. John 3, and we're talking about sons of God here. St. John 3 verse 16 says, Jesus is the only begotten son of God. But we are sons through adoption. We're still sons, but there is a difference between a begotten son and an adopted son. And as I said, one of these days, we will look into that because a lot of the discussions on eternal securities or what you call one save, always save, really centers around that. That's the seat of it. The beloved son is also another topic in the Bible. And uh, our scripture reference would be Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. So as we said the last time, the Bible as the written word of God was meant to reveal he who is the living word. We know that the living word is Jesus. All right. Let's look now at the harmony between the Old and New Testament. The Bible consists of two major segments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And remember, we have established in former time that the word testament means covenant or agreement. So we're talking about the old agreement and the new agreement, both of which have their own unique emphasis. However, each is incomplete without the other and each perfectly complements uh, the other. There are approximately 6,600 cross references between the Old and New Testament, which support their interrelatedness and um, how much they work together. 
it has been said that the New Testament is in the Old Testament contained. The Old Testament is in the New Testament explained. All right? The New Testament is in the Old Testament contained and the Old Testament is in the New Testament explained. Another way of saying it is the New Testament is in the Old Testament enfolded. The Old Testament is in the New Testament unfolded. The New Testament is in the Old Testament enfolded and the Old Testament is in the New Testament, New Testament unfolded. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. We're talking about harmony between the Testaments. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So one is really incomplete without the other because without a Old Testament, you couldn't have a New Testament. Without a New Testament, you couldn't explain the Old Testament properly because Christ came and fulfilled many of the things in the Old Testament so that the New Testament could be revealed or unfolded, unfolded to man so that we can walk in the newness of life that some of the things that were practiced in the Old Testament we don't have to do them today. We don't have to carry the blood of pigeons and rams and bulls and bullocks. We don't have to wait outside for the priest to go in on our behalf and make sacrifices. We thank God today that the veil in the temple has been rented and no longer do we have to stay in the outer court, but we can come boldly in the throne room of grace and find mercy to help us in the times of need. That's why it's so beautiful when you sing a song like, when I look into your holiness and understand what you're singing. Because in the Old Testament, they were not able to thank God that no more one man has to go into the Holy of Holies on our behalf and we stay outside and wonder if he's going to make it out. We can all, in our own time, go into the throne room of God and worship and fellowship with him. The Bible has had a truly remarkable history. Over the last about 3,500 years, it has not only been the most loved, but also the most hated book in existence. No other book has ever suffered the persistent opposition that the Bible has. Thousands of copies of the Bible has been confiscated and burned over, over time. And many believers have been executed for possessing a copy of the precious word of God. I myself have been places on the mission field to preach the gospel and I've had to not carry paper Bible or that one that can be easily identified, but we have to use electronic Bible in our phones and tablets and all of that just to get the word of God into different nations. I've gone places where if I had a copy of the paper Bible, I'd have gotten myself into trouble. The Bible has been rejected, challenged, and there have even been attempts to corrupt the scriptures with different translations and different things. But it's infallibility, the, talking about the scriptures and authority have been attacked from different angles. However, through the centuries, throughout the ages, the Bible has survived all these storms and have triumphed over them. 
to remain the most significant book in history today. God's miraculous preservation of his word is another proof of his awesome work and the inspiration of the word of God. The doctrine of scriptures is most important and we carry that responsibility to perpetuate the word of God, to live the word of God and to pass on the word of God to our children and the next generation. I know that is one of the biggest challenge right now to pass on the knowledge, the studying, the, the passion for the word of God to the next generation. Many of them love God, but they don't spend the kind of time that we would like and God would desire reading the word of God. It's a challenge that is before us that we have to meet and we have to face and we have to do something about. I believe that God is giving us strategies, giving us strength and the grace to ensure the continuity of the word of God as long as this earth remains. Listen, the other religions of the world teach their youngsters their constitution, whether it's the, the Mormon Bible or the, the Quran or whatever it is. And I must tell you as I close that I've had the opportunity to read some of those documents. And again, I say to you that the scripture, the Holy Scriptures stand as the constitution of all constitutions because all of them rewrite the scriptures in their own terms to form their constitution. And that is why the Bible remains the truth. And remember what the scripture says, it's only when you know the truth that the truth can set you free. Let us not stay in bondage, but let us continue to hide the word in our hearts. As David said, that we will not sin against our God. The word of God says in Psalm 119 verse 130, the entrance of his word give light, illumination. Entrance of his word give light and it gives understanding to the simple. We thank God for his word tonight. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and have a great day. You may contact us by email at fcfmontegobay at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at fcfmobay and on Facebook at fcfmontegobay.com.